everybody. Welcome to episode 127 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robert Robinson. And today we have a special guest. I'm very excited. Very excited to have No relation. On. Yes. No relation. Uh, <laughs> who are you and what do you do, sir? My name is Justin Robinson. Yeah, I'm not sure about the relation. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't well, checked. Right. I haven't been to Ancestry yeah, yet, but you never no, know. No, who knows? I mean, we all are probably somewhere. But yeah. yeah, so I'm a writer-director, made short films. I just finished a documentary this year that I worked on for eight years about my brother, who I was incredibly close with. He died of cancer and just, I'm not a documentary filmmaker, but it was kind of the best vehicle to tell that story, I think. So went into that realm, took me eight years, finished it, put it out for free on my YouTube and Vimeo. And as of now, it kind of got into the YouTube algorithm and mm-hmm. is doing its thing, which is a total mystery, but it's it should hit 10 million views at any point at this current time, which is mind blowing. But normally I make narrative stuff, so this is its own journey in its own right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I think that this show will help push it over that edge. <laughs> Come on. We're just that cool. (laughs) Just so as you know. Yeah. Um, Um, First of all, love the locks. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Love it. Um, Someone said Mr. Pink the other day. I don't think they were referencing uh, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. That's that's what I was referencing in my head. Yeah. Um, Not many people could pull that off. No. No. I tried once when I was like. It didn't work. No. It didn't work. It didn't work. (laughs) Um, yeah, so we watched this at different times. I had seen it because uh, you were like in the middle of – you were marathoning some graphics thing so yeah. when it came out. And um, so I watched it and I'm like a, a, a bit of a documentary whore to, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Uh, I love documentaries and um, for some yes, reason – Yes, minus the documentaries. Uh, Cha-ching. Okay. <laughs> And for some reason, I especially love watching anything that's going to emotionally break me down. Um, Mm. So, uh, uh, you know, I was watching it. And um, so the, you know, the story for those uh, that that aren't familiar, I mean, you did get into a bit. uh, Your brother was uh, diagnosed with a rare sarcoma, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so it was basically the journey of that. And, uh, you know, he was he was one of the. more positive people that took it seemed to take it more in stride there's like sort of two types of people in that in that situation I would not have been that type of person I'm you know so anytime I see somebody that's like hey these are the cards that I've been dealt and to still have a sense of humor Mm. is pretty amazing um and uh the the one thing that I I really liked it I mean it's a it's a terrible moment but I think that Hollywood has sort of uh, romanticized what death is actually like and that process. And um, when you were explaining the doctor coming in afterwards and, you know, the issue with his eyes, I think that we've sort of been fooled into thinking that it's this really like, you know, peaceful, beautiful kind of experience and our bodies do what they do. They're organic Mm -hmm. and sometimes things happen that aren't so great. And so I thought that was a really powerful moment um, in the reality of that. And, you know, immediately feeling, uh, I believe you had said that, you know, that wasn't your brother anymore. And just, it's that transition. It's like, you know, this person, so much of who we are is our personality, basically, even at our worst, it's still our personality. So um, I can't, that, you know, having to go through the experience and then documenting 
during that, you know, so you were documenting how far into this did you start that? I started four years after he died. So he died August 19th, 2008. Mm -hmm. I was 11 days before my 18th birthday. He was five days before turning 21. He had cancer for that we know of roughly like 13 months from when the doctors were involved. And thankfully, my parents got a VHS camera in the 90s and we shot, you know, a lot of basketball games. We recorded stuff on TV, Looney Tunes, football <laughs> games, illegal stuff probably, you know, <laughs> NBA games. We didn't have cable, so we watched a lot of the Michael Jordan Bulls on VHS on repeat and just had a lot, a lot of footage, I think more than the average Joe. And my memories were associated with a lot of the stuff we had on video because it wasn't that we just filmed it, we'd watch it. So yeah. if, if we had a basketball game, you know, I'm 10 years old, I'd watch the game and study film, watch what I did wrong. And so a lot of the memories I had for years and years and years were either me behind the camera or in front of the camera or directing Jordan. Because later in my middle school, you know, YouTube wasn't out and I had no mentors as far as film goes. I didn't, we weren't exposed to many films being a Christian pastor kid, homeschool, super sheltered, you know, movies were, if it wasn't G, we weren't allowed to watch it. And so that limits us to like the 1994 BBC Lord of the Rings Silver Chair and <laughs> the, the two pig movies in the 90s, Gordy and Babe. And so I didn't have any like film references. I had no, you know, place to put that. So basically I, I wish at the time I was like, oh, I was writing these scripts and we were shooting these little, you know, short films. It was just like a clean version of Jackass. We'd run around the yard, do stupid stuff and wear wigs. And then that developed. So a lot of the footage I had kind of became useful in the documentary, obviously, in every walk of life. But most of the footage I had of Jordan wasn't anything serious. Like I never sat down and was like, Jordan, tell me what you're thinking. Right. It was always like he, he had his pants pulled up or he had a wig on. And so years and years of all this footage from life and from the videos we shot came really important to me. And then when, when he got cancer, I, I didn't really film anything. It was just like a different, you know, at that point, I kind of filmed everything. I'd walk in and prank him. He'd be mm -hmm. playing video games. I'd film, you know, and during the process, I just really didn't. And then when he got cancer, like when it was actually doing its thing, when it was very, very visible, not, you know, I think a lot of people think cancer is an invisible disease. And for some people it might be internally rather, maybe not invisible, but this was a very external and internal thing. So down the road, I mean, cancer ate him alive. Like he, I, I couldn't really describe it in the documentary because I didn't have footage, but like what it did to his body was mm -hmm. just incredibly I mean, you can gnarly. see the, the difference. Yeah, yeah, you can see the difference. Yes, I do have some pictures of his face, but like it doesn't even begin yeah. To, yeah. to show what he did. And so for whatever reason, I just couldn't really film anything. So I don't really have much. I have like two shots of him during cancer, but that was just a process of, you know, I knew when he died, I was going to do something. I didn't know what. I was still really early in my film days. You know, DSLRs were the hot thing at the time. So I had a 5D and that was it. So I started four years later just to, you know, solidify this experience I had of my, of my own because I felt like I had done this extravagant thing with this extravagant person, but nobody knew or nobody wanted to talk about it. And I did. I wanted to remember the journey. And so that was where it started and just started shooting stuff, didn't know what to do. Years passed. I didn't really, still didn't know what to do with it. And I think a lot of people like pitied me for doing it. Like, oh, that's good. You know, maybe... Yeah. yeah, go do that marathon in, in honor of your thing or, you know, mm. just kind of that kind of like, and I was dead serious. I wasn't interested in a in, in, in a foundation or mm. not that there's anything wrong with anything someone does for a loved one after they die. But I was, I'm going to make a documentary as best I know how at the best I can 
without having much film experience. So years go by, decided to put myself in it, decided to narrate it. And then a friend of mine started to help me shoot because at the time it was just me filming, you know, pulling focus and asking super intense emotional questions, which is not the way to do it, but that's all I could do. And then just years went by and then I stopped doing everything else, which is writing and living life and taking jobs. I'm freelance, I work in the film industry. At that, at that time, it was mainly as a camera assistant. So I just started digitizing all these hours of footage I had. And then again, solidifying all these experiences and looking at it and going, it's exactly the way I remember it. You know, my memory didn't betray me. And so that was encouraging to me. Set out again, went and shot all over where we lived. We moved around a lot as a kid, so it was a lot of traveling. And then just slowly started putting it together, and that was its own monster. I mean, I had like over 450 hours of footage because I had to do the math at one point just to, yeah. for my brain's sake, just to go. I'm not like I'm not looking down. I was pretty good about not looking down or looking back, mm -hmm. but occasionally you kind of almost have to. You wiggle on that tightrope, you know, between mm -hmm. the mountains, and you're like, oh wow, this is actually pretty far. So I did the math one night. I was like, all right, that feels about right. And just kept plugging away and, again, said no to a lot of stuff and sacrificed a lot of time. But obviously, I, I knew it was worth it. So it was just plugging away. And it ended up being eight years, almost to the dot, of when I started the first interview to when I exported it. And that was January of this year when I finished it. So then I tried to figure out what to do with it. COVID hit. That's its own thing. And then that led me to putting it on there for free, which I thought was the best thing because I wanted Jordan to be as accessible as possible. Right. And I wasn't looking to make money when I started, wasn't looking to make money now. And even I sought out a few people in the industry that are friends and colleagues, mm -hmm. and they passed it on to people that deal with streaming services. I don't have an agent, a manager, a seller, or anything. It was just me sending a link going, let me know what you think. And a couple people were like, you know, you maybe could get on this place, but, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's too long. It's too short, 63 minutes. It's all this stuff. And I just went, you know, I'm just going to, it's who I am to make movies the way that I have, which is not waiting for anybody. I mean, I make it with friends and with resources I can conjure up, but it's I'm not waiting for tell, someone to tell me, you can go do it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And probably to a fault, which is why I did this. But mm -hmm. so there I, I was. You reach so many, I mean, you know, that look, obviously in filmmaking, there's, um, you know, profit is always nice, obviously, because you put so much in and, uh, you know, depending on, on a budget, um, you know, we work on such, we work on micro, micro budgets. So we never look at it as how much money are we going to make at the end of this? It's, we honestly have never made money off of a film. It's we not why either. we do it, you know? <laughs> Which is extremely free, you know, like, yeah, so. I mean, it's frustrating. It's frustrating yeah. as the writer of our content because I'm limited location wise wardrobe, you know, and we still do pay our actors. So it's like, I have to work within a budget, but at the same time, I don't have to worry Look, if my, you know, like you said, too long or too short, there's always going to be somebody that has a reason for why it's not going to work. And, you know, we've been told this before. We release a film and it's like 30 minutes. Like that's way too long for a short. We released it. We cut it down to 20 minutes. It's still too long for some places. Mm. Should have been 10 minutes. I'm like, well, I can't tell the story in 10 minutes. You know? So, yeah. uh, you know, it's just like, look, it's 20 to 30 minutes, depending on which version we give you. And that's just what it is. You know, we didn't make this looking to pay our house off with it. It was just like we're making, yeah. you know, making yet another film. And so I think that, yeah, obviously there is, you know, there's the, the benefit of profit that's always nice. But I can imagine that you've reached a much bigger audience by having it out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there, there's that benefit, too, because, you know, that could always bring things later. You know, mm -hmm. you're getting your name out there. People want to know what you do. So, you know, it's kind of like a, 
it's it's touch and go. You know, you you may not see a profit, so to speak, from it now, but it may reap its benefits later. And it's still an important message. So you get that out there. Yeah. Yeah, early on, and not to not to say making money is bad at all. I just don't haven't figured that out as yeah. a <laughs> nor, nor is it a, a priority, especially with this. So, but early on, when the YouTube, uh, when, when the documentary on YouTube started to get some traction, because early on, you know, a lot of people that knew Jordan, knew me, knew us at the time, had known about this documentary, so there was anticipation to see it. So, probably two weeks in, it got like twenty thousand views, and I thought that's probably everyone I've ever met that knows about this story has seen it. Mm-hmm. And I would have made it, and if it had a thousand views, I would have been fine. Obviously, I think Jordan deserves more and is universal as a person, because I'd seen him interact with people all over the world, and you know, there's a Jordan sometimes everywhere, and he just doesn't get a documentary made about him. Mm-hmm. And so, but people were messaging me like, "Oh, you're I can't remember what the word is. Oh, opportunistic, making money off you." I'm like, "Bro, I actually Whoa. lost <laughs> lost money making this documentary, and it's on an unmonetized, ad-free YouTube account, so that there's no ads to stop your watching experience." Right. So I was like, "Bro, I'm freelance. What are you smoking?" <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a fun process, and there hasn't been a lot of that, but it's usually entertaining because. There's always somebody. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. always somebody. Yeah. yeah, it's worth a screenshot and a laugh. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm curious about, and I always wonder this about things that are so um, that, that you're so connected to, and and how do you separate yourself as the subject, as a, a big portion of it, um, you know, because you're editing it, and and you're sit there and say, oh, this shot of me is beautiful. It works so. Like, how do you dis- How did you disassociate yourself from? that and you're gonna to have to cut stuff and you don't in your it's even worse when it's it's uh making those decisions regarding something like this versus being something more narrative based where that you wrote you know how do you how do you balance that yeah that's a good question so for many years like jordan i described him in, in a podcast years ago where i was like if he was in a group photo of like 20 people he would be the last person to kind of draw your attention to externally like me i have pink hair right now so usually that's the first thing people see you go oh cool hair which is not a bad thing but jordan was someone who wasn't a fashionable person he wasn't unfashionable but he wasn't flashy he had very simple hair he wasn't the center of attention he wasn't the loudest guy in the room and so for me i knew i had a hesitation of putting myself in it because when people knew jordan at his best pre-cancer we were always together. So if you knew Jordan, you knew me. And if you knew me, you knew Jordan. So it was a buy one, get one. It was a twofer. We played on the same basketball team. We went everywhere together. We literally did not separate. So when I was making the documentary where it was just me, or if you know me, or if you knew Jordan, you're like, oh, that's that, the dead, dead guy's little brother. Or they knew me as J-Rob, the filmmaker. That was it. They didn't know Justin Robinson. They mm-hmm. just know mm-hmm. dead, dead brother, filmmaker. And so I knew that if I was going to put myself in it, that... I'm so much more imperfect than Jordan is. I'm so much more externally flamboyant or fashionable that just immediately, especially on the internet, someone can judge you by pink hair, long hair, a beard, a mustache. People have, not, I don't want to sound political, but like a physical racism, not not based on mm-hmm. ethnicity, just based on, oh, you're wearing a striped shirt you're and you're like, my wife gave me this shirt. Like, what do you, you know, just yeah, people yeah. go out of their way to belittle someone. Oh, you, you do this, you do that. And so I knew that even though that's all BS, there would be an aspect. I didn't want to draw attention away from Jordan. And so I knew that was the fear just because I had grown up with that. I grew up, you know, in the church. And if you 
you know, long hair, you're going to hell and all that stuff. So a lot of unhealthy views on a lot of things that physically, but it took me a while to go, no, I'm the best suited to tell the story. I know the story better than anybody. No one can edit this. I wouldn't wish this edit on anybody. And I knew that I was going to edit either way. But then when I decided to put myself in it and narrate it, that that's the way it was. You know, we were inseparable. And so I wasn't worried about anybody. And then I had to view, I wasn't worried about anybody's opinion because I obviously know the truth of the matter. My heart is pure in making this. But I knew that I had to view myself as a character. And I think that's easier said than done for most mm -hmm. things. But just from writing and editing, I'm not super precious about stuff. I know I'm a really decisive person, but I'm not like a tight grip Gollum Smeagol, you know, my <laughs> precious, to a degree, at least not yet. And so I just knew that it is what it is, and I'm the, I'm, I'm, I, I got to drive the ship. And if you want to talk about my hair, go for it. Be my guest. But if you stick around, you're going to get to know Jordan. Yeah. So it was a process for sure. But And also at the time of making it, I didn't even have anybody to film me doing the things. Like there mm -hmm. was so much footage that could have been had of me and my coach who also passed away during mm -hmm. the process of making the documentary yeah. of you with his family and just all the things that visiting my old house. And so by the time my friend came on, that's when I was actually able to join in on the story because like even the boxing sequence and, and later in the film was something I did all the time after Jordan died. I'm not a boxer. We just had this thing in the basement, and as a high school kid, that was deeply, deeply scarred. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't want to let out that sorrow or anger or frustration anywhere else, and so the bag is a great place. I didn't want to do it out on people, so every once in a while, I just go down and and uh, go fifteen rounds and bloody my knuckles, and and then you know that could get you a few hours of the day that could buy you some time emotionally, mm -hmm. especially I, would, I played high school basketball, and you know, there's a lot of ego and you know not yeah. bs macho guy stuff but yeah. there's a lot of adrenaline in a game and right. I, I took basketball very very seriously and so if someone grabbed my jersey which you know never would have bothered me before but because i was now wearing my brother's jersey that's number 20 you know i was ready to rip your throat out mm -hmm. so it was just like I, I i'd rather not do that i'd rather get it out before and i'm yeah. not really a naturally angry guy i have a lot of like frustrations about life that are warranted but that was an aspect of revisiting those things and actually shooting that was kind of a weird experience. So having a person like my DP friend Bradford help was the only way I could do it. But again, I had to view myself, even my family, my parents, my brothers that are still alive as a character and go, right. that that might be the, the worst lit interview, but it's pivotal to the story. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's all, so, it's all, it's all, it's all there to support the story. Yeah. You know, and, and to tell that story, you know, and I think that story is is powerful and uh, important, you know, and um, and you can play. You can play basketball for sure. I'm a, <laughs> a big fan of basketball myself and oh, I play awesome. a little bit and um, you got some game. So yeah, when Thanks, I was watching it, I was like, <laughs> you know, he's not very big on documentaries. And I joke that I have to drag him. Documentaries in. for me are like working out. Never want to work out. And then when you do, you're like, oh, I feel so so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's how so That's I'll sit and watch a documentary and I kind of have to trick him into things. When when your documentary came out, he was legitimately busy working. So I was like, I know he's not gonna be able to watch it. And I had been waiting for it. So I was like, I'm not waiting for you, I'm just gonna watch it. <laughs> um, but usually I'll trick him into it. And a lot of the times he does become invested, but you kind of have to like leave the nuggets, <laughs> I have to leave the crumbs down for him to follow. 
Um, and I was like, um, there's basketball in this. He's probably going to be interested. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, I, I, he'll pull in with that as well. So, so that'll be good. There's always a hook that is, and then, and then you get, then I get to the story and then I'm, then forget it. I'm in, you know? So yeah. if we're watching, yeah, we, she watches a lot of the, um, there's a lot of documentaries regarding police violence and, and, mm. and that stuff. And that's like corruption and stuff. Like you know, so on the face mm-hmm. of it, you're like, I can't believe these people got away with this. And that draws you in. But then you learn yeah. about the story of the person that it happened to. And so there's, there's just these multidimensional kind of things going on with most documentaries that is just so intriguing and, and is better, you know, better than anything you can think of. But, yeah. but well, I appreciate you watching it, man. Basketball or no basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with that, there's, there's also pacing and saying that you've never made a documentary before. That's what's really interesting yeah, because crazy. I've, uh, you know, I go in for the story and I've watched a lot of documentaries that aesthetically didn't look great, but the story was really, really intriguing. So it's like, all right, I'm in, but, um, Is that that Kevin one? Remember that? What? So there's something about Kevin or that's a movie. No, I, what I know which one. It's, yeah. There's a documentary called Dear Zachary. That's it. Yeah. Yes, I know that. Okay, one. so he it's hasn't brilliant. watched that yet. And you know, Ooh. when I, when I, t- I saw that movie. I saw it like years ago. And I usually tell people, like, if they're in film, aesthetically, it's a disaster because it wasn't meant to really be a documentary. Like they were documenting stuff, but it wasn't really a documentary. Documentary It was more of a diary. It was really personal. Yeah. So you have to look past that because the story is. <laughs> freaking crazy you know and even as a filmmaker i i got right past that once like things kind of started rolling i was like okay this wasn't intended to be a documentary film and you know so you can forgive forgive a lot of that but um sometimes things that are intended to be a documentary get very rushed and there's there's a a schematic almost to making a documentary engrossing and it's it's not it's not a, a budget it's just the way it's edited, the way the story is told. The voiceover is really helpful because you feel like somebody's telling you a story. They're kind of, they're filling you in. Um, and I really liked that. I liked the pacing of the film. It it just like, mm. you know, it may not have had a $2 million budget. It didn't need it because the story was what you were there for. But you still really added this nice element of um, the, the home movies and then cutting in the interviews and then, uh, you know, just... And the grading was really nice. And, you know, it just it it was really nicely done, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I think it's it, it's hard to really determine budgets with documentaries, you know, because it's not how like, do you even how yeah, do you, you can really yeah. like gauge that. But, uh, you know, there's there's shows and Netflix series that have millions of dollars at their disposal. And uh, you don't need that if you if you can get that editing right and that that tone right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I really enjoyed that. I appreciate that. I grew up, one of the things that I wanted to do was, you know, growing up in the 90s, I'm 30 years old now, you'd go to somebody's houses, that house that did have a camera, VHS, and if, oh, let's show you home videos of, you know, Lisa or whoever it is, and then they show you three hours of unedited, (laughs) you know, stuff that's only personal and funny to them, and they're like dying at the inside joke that didn't land. I didn't want to make that movie. And so I knew some of the the home footage we had, like us you know punching each other with uh, punching gloves as little kids we'd had one pair so we'd share you get one i get one and then we just go one-handed and beat the crap out of each other i knew that that footage is funny but obviously i'm not going to show you three hours so 
that was one of the reasons I did voiceover was I'm not going to make that movie, but I'm going to tell you each funny part of, you know, there's five seconds on this three hour VHS tape that I'll show you. I'm not mm-hmm. going to show you three hours. So that was an attempt to not have that experience for the world to go, Hey, here's mm-hmm. three hours of home, home movie. Love right. my brother as much as I did. You know, I think I'm a little more aware than that. So, but yeah, the editing, I the first cut I ever did was an hour and 37, which I knew it would not be. I just wanted to put everything mm-hmm. in and then take it away because I recorded all the temp on my iPhone, you know, voiceover. Mm-hmm. And the final film was 60 minutes with like three minutes of credit. So it was a process for sure, but I got a lot of great notes over the years. And, you know, it's funny. You can look at like my, my, my narrative filmmaking journey. Like the first interviews are shot with a 5D. The last interviews, you know, we shot with a C300 or, you know, just watching like there's every type of camera in the last 10 years in that documentary. Mm-hmm. 5D, T2I, you know, Black Magic, C100, all this stuff. To so it made it hard for my colors, John Carrington. So you, <laughs> you shout out the color. He had a he literally was from Super 8 to now. Every type of tape, every type of codec, everything. And it's yeah. great so with the grading. He's, it, it, yeah, he's it was, he's a magician. It had yeah. a flow. Yeah. Yeah. I just kept saying, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, John. <laughs> I'm sorry, thank you. I'm sorry, thank you." That's tough because you know, every camera does something. You're going to get a different look from everything. So yeah. I, can, yeah. I can only imagine what that process But I think there like. is a, a level of forgiveness. Not forgiveness, but in a documentary, no. there, yeah. you, know, you know you're dealing with different media. So it's yeah. For sure. Yeah. You know. But yeah, that can. said, it still felt very cohesive. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. Thanks. And so I was um, – I'm really, I'm really fascinated by your childhood because – I was the total opposite, you know. I was like watching The Exorcist at like six, and really like <laughs> yeah, wildly on, huh? inappropriate yeah. things as a child. And you know, when I would tell people, like, they're like, "When did you watch this?" I was like, "I don't know, I was like six or seven. They look at me like, "What?" You know, and I was like, "What?" You know. So when someone says like, oh, "I could only watch G-rated movies as a kid," I'm like, "Wow." I mean, I was my babysitter was the television to an unhealthy degree. I lived watching movies. I watched movies over and over and over again. One of my favorite movies as a child was Parenthood, which made no sense for a kid. There was like all these innuendos that didn't make sense until later. But I don't know, for some reason as a kid, I loved it. He's like- Drop Dead Fred. Well, Drop Dead Fred is more of like a kid's movie. Yeah, well, they they have that that scene. Yeah, they did. (laughs) (laughs) The cobwebs, as a child, I didn't understand that. Uh, But, you know, it, it was just- you know, movies that you wouldn't think a kid would like, I liked, just watched everything. And so um, I had friends, though, that um, when we would go on vacation in the summer, they were, I don't remember, they were Jewish, but they, they, um, it was like, they just had this, it was very granola. Uh, it was very oh, granola. And um, they were very sheltered. And I remember like, the youngest daughter, they had two daughters, so one was closer to my sister's age and one was closer to mine. She was obsessed with my Cabbage Patch dolls because she wasn't allowed to have them. Mm. And, you know, I thought, like, what? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Is there, like, Satan's lair in here? I don't know, like, what's wrong with giving them? <laughs> but that, you know, the like Cabbage Patch doll was, like, it was mainstream. It was just too much. And so she would just eat these things up whenever she could see them. And I was like, yeah, sure, have at it. Um and I was always fascinated by their lifestyle. They almost like even the way they dressed had like this 70s feel in the 80s. It's like they were always mm-hmm. kind of like a decade behind. And so it's it's so cool to me that you still wound up making films and, you know, falling into that genre. Anyway, were your parents like, go, oh, <laughs> we tried so hard. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't even think they had a palette for like what a filmmaker is. I mean, I know I didn't. I didn't. I know. I think it was Wes Anderson that said there was a certain point when he was watching a Spielberg movie where he realized there's a conductor, like someone behind mm-hmm. the curtain. He had a mo- oh, that's what I want to do. And I had no concept for that because we weren't, you know, did not watch movies, weren't allowed to go to the movies. You know, I was, I want to say 16. You couldn't go to the My, movies? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so not, yeah like. So the this is check this out and take this for what you will, but my parents allowed us to go to our first movie, and it was with our church, and it was R rated. Can you guess what it was? What year was it? I want to say two thousand three or oh, four, maybe. Big movie. Big movie. Rated Controversial on. to a, to a degree. Paranormal hmm. Activity. No, The Passion What's of the Christ. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So that's obviously a pretty gnarly movie. Yeah. For a lot of aspects, but I, you know, had questions then. So what? You know, and it, it probably could, w- w- was a goyer in real life, you know, not saying that it should have been or shouldn't have been, but I don't know if they had a bad experience or, you know, when they went to seminary, I, I can't speak for them, but they were very fearful of that world mm-hmm. and i think the view of of hollywood was mm-hmm. like uh, uh i don't know like a massive orgy or something all the yeah. time yeah. <laughs> like, we, that's that's we can't go there yeah. and but you're like well people in hollywood made winnie the pooh but you know so it was something that i, I don't know there's a lot to unpack i'm sure but yeah. it's quite a frustrating thing as a kid because you just want to watch or you see a part of jurassic park at your friend's house and you're yeah. like yeah I didn't know there was like movies like this. Yeah. And I can still remember seeing, you know, the blood in the waterfall for the first time the guy gets eaten, pulls out. I was like, whoa, <laughs> how did they how did they do that? Yeah. But yeah, so coming back, I've joked about this a lot of a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they're they're Scorsese like disciples. So they've seen every I'm like, man, I still haven't seen Taxi Driver yet, man. I started watching movies like as a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. So I'm still behind on some of the classics. I've seen quite a bit, but people are like, Oh, you seen this? And I'm like, Bro, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew, I'll be behind for the rest of my life. But, you know, so it is kind of funny that I've come full circle of of making movies. Yeah. But, so your yeah. first cinematic experience in a theater was Passion of the Christ. Yeah. That's a script yeah. all in of itself right there. It is. <laughs> and it was, and it's like with our church. And I want to say like one of our aunts took us to see the Lion King when they were like babysitting us and that was like not supposed to happen but I don't know if I was there or not I just remember hearing that because I don't have any memory of it but yeah mm-hmm. so it was it's something for sure that's amazing yeah I was never yeah. one of those like knew I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was five type of people either it started so late in life and uh, I always thought for the longest time I thought I was going to be a professional skateboarder convinced Hundred percent convinced. I, I think there's still a part of you that thinks yeah. that's gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, you know, I could still, could still move, but um, <laughs> but you know, I I I I think I I you know I started out wanting to be an actor, and then I fell in love with telling stories, and and but that was all like my twenties, you know. So it's it wasn't anything that 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 struck me early, like those savants that you know, I was three years old and grabbed a camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't happen for me. I knew I wanted to act from a yeah. young age, but I didn't think I'd actually do it. But yeah, I knew I, I well, you're really welcome. wanted to be. An- 
<laughs> I think the good thing for me was that I was a sponge mm-hmm. indirectly. Like I was a really aware kid. Like even, you know, being at church all the time as a little pastor's kid, you, you're like listening to adults talk and you're like, for whatever reason, I just know that that person's lying right. about what they said. Or, you know, a bunch of old pastors get together and they're like, you know, I baptized 48 last month. And this guy's like, I baptized 52. And I'm just like, you guys are five. Like you're talking about Why stats. are we competing yeah, about this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like yeah. you're... You know, and so as a young age, just kind of like, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player when I grew up and then go be a Navy SEAL. I knew I couldn't play in the NBA just because Michael Jordan played there. It was like this thing that's like, no, I'll play D1 college, but I'm not interested in the NBA because Michael Jordan plays there. Yeah. You know, that's like a, that's a tier that I, I don't think I'll reach. I mean, you can probably play a- on the Knicks now, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I say this as a Knicks fan. Yes. We're horrible. That hurts. Uh, that's MJ's favorite place to play. But yeah, so then later in life when storytelling and writing, you know, I hated reading and writing as a kid, but when I started writing in high school, college, fell in love with it. And the fact that I want to be a writer now is is almost funny to me because school was not interesting. And I don't consider this school, but constantly learning is something that we as filmmakers do or should do. Mm-hmm. But being a sponge as a kid was really helpful for all of those experiences, good, bad, or really bizarre whether it was at home or church or at, at basketball. So I've written, I have four feature scripts that fall in the backdrop of like 90s Southern religious culture, mm-hmm. uh, like one about a pastor's wife and her husband leaves her and God behind right before Y2K happens. And then one about a old heavy set church pianist who gets fired by the political church director and then she poisons the potluck on the last Sunday, which is like a super dark comedy. So a lot of these experiences that I've had, just filtering in all these spongy uh, childhood memories of being able to do something with it now is is what I find value in my memory of like, yeah, there's no other way. It's like the same thing. You get a hateful comment, you screenshot it and you laugh or you're just like, dude, that's that's pretty vile. You know, I wish you well. I wish you well. Yeah. It's kind of like that in the same vein of what I've tried to do with the things that uh, you you don't know what to do with or you just find hilarious that that happened. You get to that point where you... You you know you, you early on you you get these negative comments and you're like, what the fuck you know this guy's jerk blah blah. But then you get to a point where you're just like, I feel sorry for you, mm-hmm. you know. And I think when you can come to peace with that kind of negativity coming at you, you you're in such a good place to just do whatever it is you want to do, you know. And for yeah. you specifically, having moved around so much when you were young and experiencing different parts of the country and cultures and all that stuff, I think kind of allow get is just like a wealth for for writing and, and character study and that stuff and mm-hmm. and so I really look forward to stuff that you have coming out yeah. that will be coming out I'm sure people love to hate stuff so you just yeah. kind of have to let them get that out of their yeah their system. I do and I'm thankful for playing basketball that was like for I mean being a sheltered homeschool Christian white kid in the 90s you know basketball was the outlet to meet people to be myself and to talk trash from the court. I mean, I don't think anybody hope, thinks a pastor's kid's going to talk trash. <laughs> so talking trash at an early age. And talking I was Christian really, trash. Yeah. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. I don't know. Uh, great game, uh, brethren. <laughs> yeah, not that. So I was really young, really small. Everybody was a lot bigger than me. So I had a chip on my head, not my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And so I I talked a lot of trash. I was really confident. And so then if someone that's not very good at talking trash, that's an art form, 
it doesn't affect you. And I think like attributing like years and years and years of thousands of games of talking mm-hmm. to trash with kids, you know, warranted or not, a YouTube comment kind of reminds me of that, of like, mm-hmm. you can't even talk trash well, yeah. you know, or you're just a bad audience member. Like, how did you miss that? Like somebody commented this morning and I recorded the voiceover for this documentary we shot in the studio. And so there's some B-roll of me in a moment where I'm emotional and I have, I took the headphones on off to sit the whole time, you know, you see B-roll of me in this little studio. Somebody commented like, did that guy really bring his headphones to his brother's funeral? What is he trying to be a rapper? And I'm just like, <laughs> oh man, bro, you, you like I don't I, I don't know how you missed that, but you took the time to comment that, yeah. yeah. And it's obviously like, do I have to say no? I didn't wear a beanie and headphones right. to my brother's funeral. Yeah. Like, do I have to? So it's just like, uh, thankfully, a lot of the trash talking and confrontational things I had as a tyke and as a middle schooler uh, take me to YouTube comments, and also I, I kind of. You get some golden nuggets in the YouTube world because internet's a free country for people to mm-hmm. make an account and comment. Mm-hmm. And I made a oh, this was when I first started making films when a lot of people that knew me wanted me to make Christian f- films. And I, I made this World War II film. Fairly good technically at the time. Story, just not good. And uh, somebody commented and said, this budget looked like it was half a sandwich. <laughs> and, and, and that's like the all time. I go back to it often because... It, yeah, it was like a Subway sandwich budget. So that one was just like just so telling and funny. And I just like props. I love that comment. So. Yeah. Yeah. I You know, I had somebody recently, um, don't know who they were. It was And it was through Facebook, through a fr- like a friend of a friend or something like that. And uh, it was a political conversation that this guy wanted to jump in on and just be the, the opposing side, you know. And uh, he... He like stalked my page, then screen grabbed me, and then went after like. Uh, he went after me physically on something that I'm really like, oh, kind wow. of self conscious about, and I went, you know, that's a good one though. You got me. <laughs> that's the one thing <laughs> that I'm like, oh, you know. And I was like, he, but then blocked me, so I couldn't retort. I'm like, see, now that's look. It was a good one. You went after like. A physical flaw. Yeah, props to you. But, you know, but then he like, you know, for fault better, he pussied out at the end of it. And I'm like, oh, so you're going to block me now so I can't say anything back to you? Um, so it was like, whatever. But I, I don't know. I, I, I thought that internet comments would bother me more. But coming from like, this is from the 90s and yeah. high school as the yeah, only yeah. goth kid, it takes a lot for me. Mm. You know, I'm usually like, eh, whatever. And Plus, so it's like, like it, it, and if it has anything to do with our movies, trust me, there's no comment or or hate that you can give to my film that I that we can don't know, double that. Yeah. You know, so don't. But that's not gonna like the, that's all you caught. Great. The, the, the <laughs> thing, like, like we got attacked on uh, when we won the film riot thing, and the oh, guy yeah, was yeah. like, "Well, this was clearly ADR," and we we're like, "No, it wasn't. <laughs> there was a boom mic there the whole time. Like, what are you talking about?" And I think even. Ryan Connolly was like, if that was ADR, it was the best ADR I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. I was like, you know, you're gonna. I might like, have been a little heavy-handed on the EQ on that one, though. Yeah, but, but it, it didn't. It in no way sounded or yeah, looked yeah. ADR. So I was just like, what are you even coming after? And then I was like, you know, it's this is probably a person that submitted and didn't get it. You know, so like, like you're bitter and you're coming after the people that did get in. You know, and it's like, get out of here. You know, like. Uh, you know, if you want to come after my physical looks, then do that. But like, yeah. don't come after the ADR. There was a boom mic there. But, you know, it's just like, eh, whatever. 
it's tough because I think uh, I don't think it's a generational thing. It's just a human thing. Everyone who leaves a comment, especially if it's, it's filled with hate, is certain. They're certain about everything, saying that's mm-hmm. absolutely ADR when yeah. it might not be. Yeah. Or that's wrong of you to do. Or it's yeah. like a film essay video where they're like, this director panned left because of this emotional thing. You're like, nah, bro, the light's coming from the other way. He just panned left because that's yeah, the yeah. best way for lighting. Like, you don't know his decision. Did you ask David Fincher why he panned left? <laughs> yeah. Did you ask his DP and operator? So everybody's certain about things that, you know, they can't be certain on. And then on the opposite side, they block you or whatever. And yeah. You can't block people face to face. So it's an interesting thing for sure. Yeah. A lot of people message me. Like I made a little video early on about the documentary because it was all these hateful comments. They're like, don't even, don't even read them. Don't even give them light. And like, this is a part of what filmmakers do, especially indie filmmakers. And I don't read every comment. I don't read every review. But this is something that we deal with every day. So a lot of people, this will like lethally destroy a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Someone's saying your film sucks, uh, your writing sucks, you need to hire a writer or, you know, that acting is bad. That actor might read it and then that actor might think about on their, that on their next job. And I think building some thick skin and also knowing that a lot of people that are actually helpful that give notes aren't always certain. It might be a suggestion. It might be a question. You know, mm-hmm. this felt this way. What do you think about this? Instead of this certain place where I think people are afraid to go, I don't know. And that could be politically, relationally, all those things. Yeah. In life. Yeah, yeah. But it comes out in YouTube and because it's not face to face. So I'm fascinated by it. And I've made enough things on YouTube and Vimeo to, to see a fair amount of the half a sandwich or your, <laughs> you know, this. And I've I've deleted a fair amount and I've also commented back a few times. And but it's a very interesting thing. And I think it's it's healthy for people in life and in comments to say, I don't know, man. It feels this way, but you know, maybe that's the but it's a weird it's a weird thing. So yeah. it, it comes with every film we make. So I think we have to deal with every aspect of film, like we talked about at the beginning, maybe profit one day, maybe money one day might be comments this day, but trying to build an arsenal of a mental capacity to deal with all those things I think is important because I've, I've worked with so many YouTubers or people that deal with comments on the thousands and thousands, and, and I've been with them as they read some, and I can watch it affect them. Not that it shouldn't affect them, but I think taking it and being able to file it away in a folder is important, and yeah. that's something I've tried to do myself. And I'm not saying I'm a pro at it, but I think I attributing all the good things to playing basketball, like for a lot of my filmmaking, I attribute to basketball, learning people, directing, knowing, you know, like, are you goofy-footed? Are you regular? So when, when I film you, I'm going to be on your inside instead of your outside just because I know where you stand. Like, all those things that I could just know from you, from mm-hmm. a, being a point guard or being a friend. Okay, what's the – and I just – that's the way that I think. So I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there, but it's a fascinating place, the internet. Yeah. We're, we're big fans of constructive criticism, though. Yeah, I think, like, like, I can't – it's necessary to – get better and it's like you know as he said with filmmaking i don't i will never need you to tell me that my performance wasn't great i'll know it trust me i know (laughs) when we when we sit and we go through the footage and i'm like why did i do that i shouldn't have done that and i don't watch my films but i will watch them through to watch what i've done i take my notes don't do that again and then i learn from there so it's like i think it's important for somebody to say you know, there's a way to say things like, I wish this actor had maybe done X, Y, or Z. It's a way of being like, oh, okay, maybe that's something. Instead of just mm-hmm. being like, your actor sucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, why? Mm-hmm. What about it sucked? You know, like, mm-hmm. did, what was the emotion not believable? Was, you know, give me more than just I suck. That doesn't help. You know, why? And yeah, how yeah. do I improve that? 
Um, and if enough people are saying the same thing, then, you know, you, you do kind of have to, that's that, that fine line of staying true to what you want to do, but then also kind of having mm-hmm. to go with the notes. Well, you know, 14 or 17 people had said mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that that scene didn't feel genuine. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something to that, you know? Yeah. And so you just work off that, not having so thin of a skin that you can't improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even recently, this whole documentary experience has been weird. It's about to hit 10 million views, and that's a new thing for me. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do something special. I'll just shoot a little video kind of sharing what it's done in three months because it's only been online less than three months at the time of this recording. And so a buddy of mine went over and shot an interview, kind of me talking to camera, which is not something I normally do. I'm not a YouTuber, but just kind of sharing piece by piece. And and back when I used to work at Film Riot, we'd do like teleprompter stuff. And that came fairly easy. Ryan Conley's like a madman. That guy can read, you know, anything. It's like Ron Burgundy. You could probably type in anything <laughs> that he'd say. Anything. But so I, I don't have a teleprompter. And I was just kind of not in the right mode. And I'm, I was sharing a car with my wife and I had to. I only had a limited time before I had to go pick her up. And basically we shot this little thing really quick. And I just, I just knew it wasn't right. And it was something so simple. And the interview looked great. But I just went back and I was like, it's just not right. And I don't own a lot of gear. I even uh, rented this mic from a friend to do the voiceover for that video instead. And so basically I set up my handy cam just to like BTS kind of film me. But it was mainly about the voiceover because the documentary went viral on TikTok and I'm getting messages from random people that have somehow come across it just because it's free, available, and trending on YouTube, like Jane Lynch, the actor, and oh, nice. host of The Weakest Link, it randomly tweeted it. And some YouTube comments like, yo, Jane Lynch brought me here. And I'm like, Jane Lynch? <laughs> like the like, Jane, Jane Lynch? Lynch? Yeah. <laughs> and I see her tweet, and she's like, beautiful, inspiring film for free, watch it on YouTube. So I message her. She messages back and she sends me a video talking about the documentary for this project. And then, so there's story after story of people like that. But all that to say, even something so simple, I didn't need anyone to tell me that interview wasn't. So I think there are those notes, but I think some of the best notes you can ever give yourself is from you. Because like you said, you know your performance is bad or it could be better. So that's something I'm even working through this week. I have to finish it tonight. But that's been something that like... It's got to be, the heart has to be right. And not that the heart, it just something wasn't, it's not yeah. the way to tell this. And so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm striving for, whether it's the lighting, it's the, you know, I think people that don't have the gear right now that say, I can't make a film because you have an Alexa and I have a black magic. Like if you don't work on your story now, when you have the Alexa, it won't matter. Yep. And so yep, I'm trying to work on, I'm trying to work on the heart and the writing now so that no matter if I'm shooting on a black magic, a five, whatever, mm-hmm. a handy cam in my office. It is what it is. Great, great audio, but that's something that I, I, I again attribute to basketball. You know, you miss a shot, and you got to tell yourself you got to shoot it again. Yep. You can't fear shooting the next one. If you fear shooting the next one, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. You miss it. Yeah. And so it's this weird combination of being humble and confident. You know, it's yeah. like that towing that line of not being cocky. You want to be confident because mm-hmm. that's what you know. For me, that's how kind of I approach everything, really. But filmmaking, especially, is is knowing what I want and, and going for mm-hmm. it, but also being pliable enough to be able to change at the last minute and, and be able to improve and not think like, don't, you're, you're the, you know, you're the PA. Don't tell me how I should light this shot. Like, what do you have? Mm-hmm. Like, let me hear what, you know what I mean? So there's this just weird thing. And I, and I love that balance personally. Cause I love, yeah. I love, um, I love learning stuff. I'm, you can ask her, I'm always watching shit and learning things. And, and, yeah. but, but I also, find that when I want to tell something 
tell a story or whatever that I have very definitive ideas that I want to that I want to kind of carry out. And so um, then she'll come in and say, this sucks, start over. And then we're back to square one. <laughs> what have you done to my story? Yeah. <laughs> um, so and, and that goes back to, you know, how once you, you uh, pick up on that criticism thing, like the, the worst thing. You know, like when you surround yourself with like your friends and they're always going to tell you your films, or this film is amazing. It's like, well, thank you. I appreciate that because you're my friend. But like what, you know, wh where where did it work for you? Where did it not work for you? This this is so important, so much more important than my feelings, than you're trying to be nice to me and everything. So, yeah, there's a there's a huge juggling act with all that stuff. And, and once you can kind of know that field and play in it, then I think you, you're, you're in a great spot to kind of like build out your career from there. Yeah. If that makes I think sense. Some it's kind of, of rambly, notes. but the, you know. No, I'm with you. Even some people that like, you know, not every director is super definitive or knows what, I mean, I've, as a camera assistant, worked on numerous things of directors that shouldn't direct, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. But some directors who are just, don't have a shot list and not that you should or shouldn't, but they're not that prepared or they're not definitive or decisive, but they figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like a superpower or the Avengers, you know, you're, you might be the Hulk and I don't know. I haven't seen the last seven of them, but like <laughs> your superhero is that power. Your superhero superpower is that. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And also I think some of the best notes, I have a few friends that make very unique films and films that don't always require that heart to heart friend notes, because I'm, I'm usually that friend for my filmmakers of when they want to ask, Hey, what, what, what is it that's missing? But sometimes man, the best thing, my, the best note I can do is just be on set with you and let you make that because it's better for your heart to make this without, you know, hey, that's that scene's not going to work. This will improve your life if you make this film, right. you know, because I think the therapy of making films for filmmakers is very important rather than, oh, it's the best or it's going to hurt your career. It's not as good as the last one. That will improve your mental health if you get to make that film. That's the best note I can give you. Yeah. yeah. Tell that story. Get it out of your system. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. say that about M. Night. Yep. I have a love-hate relationship with him. Mm. And, you know, he's made stuff that I'm like, what the hell happened? <laughs> I, I, but I move on because then he'll make something else. And I'm like, love that. Just because I'm a fan of you doesn't mean that I'm going to love every single thing you do. You're in a different headspace than I am for this. And that's, you know, you tell that story and, you know, you have, you succeed and, and, and you fail. And I think that I hate that misconception that if you're good at what you do, you can't fail. You know, yeah. it's like everything has to be the best film you've ever made. Right. And it's like, but that's not, yeah, one. that's not yeah. always the case. It's just, you know, sometimes you just want to make something and that's what you make. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. again, there's, there's nothing about a story when we make a film that I, I tend to write sort of abstract and I like to make people think, and that infuriates a lot of people. Some people like that. And then other people are like, what the hell? You know, so mm -hmm. it's always that balance of like, how much do I change this? And how many um, how many versions of this can I think of to sort of satiate everybody? And you can't because this person gets it. This person doesn't. Um, it just is what it is. You know, either you get it or you don't. And I've, I have no problem somebody asking me a question to say like, hey, what what was that scene about? Can you tell me? Mm -hmm. I would rather that than somebody go, it was great. And then I ask them, well, what was it about? I don't know. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like, I mean, how could that be great if you didn't understand it? I'd rather you just say, hey, can you explain this to me? Sure. And, you know, sometimes, a lot of the times with this, with the last film, people have gone like, oh, 
I totally missed that. I'm like, okay, so that was, you know, you just need to, you need to, sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to see something again to sort of catch those little, yeah, little tricks or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, even stuff that I, that we made that I didn't like, I don't regret writing it. Which is everything. Yeah. Which is everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't regret it. I'm just like, okay, I know, watching that now, I know exactly where I went wrong in the storytelling or the performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to try not to, not to do that again. Yeah. It's that simple. I'm not going to like stop writing or acting because I made something that I didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, it's a matter of like, as soon as we, you know, we're the, we're the worst when it comes to like marketing, you know, we're just, we never are very good. Like as soon as I finish something, I've edited it and I've done whatever. I've seen it a million times, blah, blah, blah. I know every nook and cranny of it and every mistake. And I just am eager to get to the next one to, improve upon that. And I know the things I did wrong and the things that worked well, let me do that on the next one. And that's kind of all I care about. But then there is like this whole selling yourself yourself thing, which we struggle with because, you know, we're filmmakers and and artists and no artist is going to be, hey, look at me. You know, we want to like show you all the stuff we made. But then the minute you look at us, we're like, stop looking at us, (laughs) you know. Uh, So there's that. So how, 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 how is that been for you regarding this and in terms of I mean the kind of it kind of took on a life of its own so you know the story's so great and so powerful that um that it kind of did that but how has that been for you in regards to that man on roller coaster well two things I saw also today on Twitter that M. Night is on the last day of his current film so yeah I love M. Night (laughs) and the the trailer for Servant came out the for season two oh yeah yeah I mean, even, you know, not being exposed to films, I remember seeing The Village in high school at a friend's house and I had no palate for it. I was like, the ending, you know, I was like, wait, I don't, I, I hate, what? And then, <laughs> you know, I got in college, I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. It's a brilliant script. I loved that movie from the beginning and everyone was like, that sucked. I was like, I liked it. <laughs> I liked it yeah. Lot, yeah. It's the same way I grew up, so you know, weird. like if, if you don't eat onions on your burger and they're like, what, you don't like onions? Yeah. Like I put that in dialogue of script because it's like. It's not your job to make me like onions. And I'm not saying I'm not going to eat my vegetables, but grown people with appetites. Not to say you should never learn to like something. But like if I see you pull your tomatoes off your burger, I'm not going to be like, bro, you voted for the other party. I hate you now. (laughs) It's just like, bro, he likes the village and she likes Lady in the Water. Yeah, Don't worry about it. The music's great in both. Fine. You know, so anyways, I'll answer your question. (laughs) M. M Night. Yeah, he's a genius. But. I mean, even Spielberg made War Horse. I mean, he was just probably wanting to experiment or make a movie yeah. about a horse. Not that it's not bad. It's just people were like, wait, what? You're like, yeah. He's, he, he, look how many movies he can do whatever he, can he do wants, he wants. Man. Yeah. If he yeah. wants. If he wants to tell a story about a horse, then <laughs> my God, yeah. they're going to bring in the best horse wrangler in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they probably did. So anyways, uh, yeah, the documentary, I'm not a marketing person either. I've, I have I just view things, even writing. I write what I want to see and and I market, you know, to a degree. On social media, I have social media because I'm a filmmaker, not because I love it. I don't yeah. hate it, but yeah. if I wasn't a filmmaker, I don't think I would have a use for it. Mm-hmm. So I market and you know created some screen grabs and some stuff, quotes on screen grabs from people who had watched it for about a month's worth of posting. And then of course the doc blew up, and I was like, I don't like I don't have much left in the tank. So I've reached out and I did a video when it hit 5 million views. I reached out to a bunch of industry friends, actors to do like, what are your thoughts on the film? What did, what did you think? And why would you recommend it? Mm-hmm. Put that together. And that's obviously beneficial and, and keeps pushing. And so that's why I even made this 10 million video because some of the crazy things like Jane Lynch or 
or, you know, Polly Perrette from NCIS, the girl with the pigtails, mm-hmm. like somehow saw it, reached out on Twitter and was like, how? Okay, cool. Yeah. How did you, you know, so it's just one of those things that it's cool for people that knew Jordan. It's it's cool for people just to see the reach and go, oh my gosh, wow. Mm-hmm. Films can really change people even if it just makes them think for the for the duration of the film. Yeah. And often we don't see the the review. We don't see the the thoughts that they, that they that they thought. So that's been something that I'm just kind of winging it as I go. I'm kind of I think at the end of my I don't have much left to say about it in some ways mm-hmm. via social media. Mm-hmm. I'm really stoked that people love it, but I'm I'm not a high or low person. I'm pretty even keel even with a YouTube comment. So whether it's all love or it's all hate, it's not going to really mm-hmm. set yeah. me, but I've I've learned a lot about marketing and people who do agency stuff and just just to get it in the public eye or just to you know, one thing about social media is 50 people might see that screen grab or that podcast, but not everyone will. So having like a 10 million video like I'm doing now to kind of recap mm-hmm. just so people cannot miss everything in one. So that's something I'm learning is how to stick everything on one thing. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely a learning curve of, you know, I make behind the scenes of every film I make and the documentary just because I love BTS. I love sort of the commentary stuff. And also indirectly, it creates like a time capsule of your experience. It's like, a, yeah. you know, if you ever went to like a Christian youth camp and they make a video at the end, and you're like, oh, that was our week. Wow, cool. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't, that's you're not missing <laughs> out on that the video. But it'll basically just be like a recap of your week, and yeah. so that's kind of how I view it as well. I'll look at that time, especially now. You look back, and we're not wearing masks, and wow, remember that we used to make movies like yeah. you know. Yeah. Our, so I'm figuring it out. I didn't take any course, but it's, again, I just go through the philosophy of what would I want to see as yeah. a filmmaker, as a writer. Like you market a, your podcast on a 15 second video, invaluable. Somebody will see it. Mm-hmm. It'll go somewhere. That's and I think what do, we do. doing that, <laughs> yeah, doing that work will pay off, mm-hmm. and and it might not pay off in the way that you see. But I think being diligent and keeping yourself, you know, humble and confident. But this is a part of it. I have to post this. Mm-hmm. People need to know about this, and that's something that I've owned up to. And especially because my face is in the documentary, and that's something that's a little weird at mm-hmm. times. But yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. So more than it's ten a lot million of people have seen your mug. It's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> you know what's really interesting to me, I'm going to go back to it, is that I, I've noticed that people in my life that I've met that came from really uh, strict Christian backgrounds tend to have the most open minds when it comes to like film and art. Um, uh, one of one of our actor friends and a personal friend, Kat Lindsay, um, she has a very devout Christian background and, um, you know, she would go to, she had camps and and her father was like a really prominent figure. And, uh, you know, so, and it's so crazy. She watches really dark stuff. She won't watch The Exorcist, Kat. I know she's laughing at Mm -hmm. me right now. She's like, that I can't watch. I can't do it. (laughs) I was like, when you're ready, you let me know. Um, But she just had like, you know, midsummer, like she loves really dark kind of stuff. Mm. And and I've met other people that are like, yeah, I was raised in a Christian camp and they have like the most diverse interest. Um, it's the irony of like that really sheltered life always seems to kind of backfire. And I always found that they were the most interested in everything because, because of that sheltered life. Like they just wanted to know everything and see all different kinds of things. Um, they were often the most rebellious kids. <laughs> so I just thought, that's such a cruel irony that you're raised to be sheltered and to be uh, safe from all of the, you know, these, these, this sort of visual 
sin and uh, they go right for it. <laughs> it's like, um, and it's like every every single person that I've met that's had a really like very strict Christian background. They uh, they're the best to talk about films and stuff because they just super open minded about it. Hmm. Yeah, my diversity would probably surprise you. Most people don't realize I'm homeschooled until it comes up or I make a homeschool joke and they're like, "You're homeschooled." <laughs> You're like, mm-hmm. They're like, for like a year? You're like, the whole time, dog. And they're like, oh, wow. Like, the, you know, everyone's perception. And I knew those homeschoolers that they perceive, you know, we make characters of them. But, yeah, I was, my oldest brother, not the one who passed away, used to tell me I was adopted. <laughs> As a mean thing, like, for what are, nine what years What are big brothers life, for? Uh, yeah. And uh, you're adopted. And I started to believe it just because I was so unlike everyone. And uh, so it's something that... But yeah, I think it's it's valuable to be diverse in, in your group of friends, obviously, with your films, with what you watch. You know, people that just watch this show their the whole life just because their parents watch it. Try something new. Try yeah. something different. Try different music. Try different artists. Try female, male, whoever. Try, you know, yeah. check out Billie Eilish. Check out, you know, uh, Willie Nelson. Yeah. Check out, you know, Kendrick Lamar's new stuff. Whatever. And I think that's valuable just to discover. And and in film, it, I think a lot of that enriches. And for me, as as a I don't want to say people person, but someone who just meets a lot of people in random weird aspects of life. People just walk up and tell me their life story on drugs or totally sober. And for me, it's all material. Mm -hmm. It's all material. So, so are you, um, are you working on, on going back and are you going to do something narrative or what's, what's your next step? Yeah. So I, I do share it in the 10 million views video, which will hopefully come out in the next couple of days, but I'm, this might be the only documentary I ever make. I, I want to write and direct feature films. I'm not against documentaries. Don't have a disdain for them. But this was different. obviously a yeah. particular story that I have to tell. Like I'm working on a book about my brother, stuff I couldn't tell in the doc, didn't have time. Just something for me, the same way I made the doc. But narrative is where I want to go. I was supposed to shoot a short film this year, and it was about a funeral director. And I talked to Doug Jones, an actor who does a lot of creature makeup work, mm -hmm. but it was not creature makeup, makeup work, a very dramatic, heavy piece kind of a day in the life of a funeral director and we were going to shoot that this summer COVID hit and it's TBD mm -hmm. so I've just been writing features this year and trying to get a lot of stack up the library for for down the road because I want to write and direct my own stuff but I'd also love to co-write and write for other directors that I love not just like spec <coughs> someone else mm -hmm. excuse, and, me. Uh, <coughs> excuse me <laughs> and that's that's Hint. been a, a process of my own like I want to write books too yeah. yeah you know again direct the stuff I write and maybe act very little in friends films when it's like a, hey I need I need you to be a Navy SEAL come in the scene get shot that's stuff I love absolutely I'll get blown away you were yeah, that's you kind were of in, uh, how I contribute to films of my friends yeah were you like in Sentinel or one of those film riot things was that, yeah. yeah a handful it's of funny, the, the it, film riot shorts yeah it's funny because you, you had earlier you had made a statement about um not like you're not one to be like on camera and stuff like that but I found like and that's how I first probably like a lot of people I, I first discovered you on through film right because I, I watch that when I can and um I, I always thought you you had such a charisma and you were so funny on that show and you have such a natural kind of gift in front of the camera um, and I'm surprised that acting isn't something that that you're more drawn to based it's on always the just, case with those types know? though we've always it's, it's always like that one friend that's like no nah, I'm not interested and then it just comes so naturally I'm like of course you don't want to be an actor because I could use you <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't say it comes naturally. I mean, in middle school, we were making videos, and normally I was 
operating the camera and directing, but mm-hmm. the few times I was in it, I knew I would give a hundred percent because I knew what it was. I knew what I wanted. And so years later, never thinking of myself an actor. I don't because I have a lot of actor friends and I love directing, but I've acted in enough things and small enough roles on features and shorts and stuff to where it's like, I'm crazy enough as a person to give a hundred percent. I think you have to be a little bit crazy in, in the stuff that I do. Cause it's normally like a friend director like Ryan who, yeah, you need someone to like literally run nine miles today yeah. because you shoot so many takes. And uh, funny enough, Sentinel, I got like a poison oak like, my oh. chest to my waist for three weeks. It was a funny, like oatmeal baths for three <laughs> weeks. And years prior, I had done his short film called Proximity. And oh, yeah, we were in this right. mud, I drowned in this guy. And I had to get my ears like uh, cleaned out by a doctor because I had so much like stuff. Oh, my God. So anytime we do a film, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, nah, bro. What medical ailment will we give like, you today? I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. We need to get back yeah. to one now. <laughs> yeah. That's just how hard I go. So it's it's been a slow process of like living life, seeing what I've seen, and then also wanting to be a writer, director, and working with actors closely to go. Mm-hmm. To a degree, I know what the gift you're giving the world is, mm-hmm. and I know what often real pain you're you're visiting, and I have a lot of that, and I have a well of that. Mm-hmm. And so from time to time where it's, how is the best, what's the best type of help I can give my friend who's a filmmaker? It's like, I can either polish your script or I'm your third cowboy that gets killed in the first scene. Yeah. Or I have two lines. So that's kind of been a slow process of like, that's something I find value in. And it's also a little bit of an outlet for me to do something for Ryan yep. or for whoever. Yep. So I have a stunt reel and a little acting reel that I don't post. But it's been something that, like I've been working on a lot of things later in life where I was like, you know, I might play that role. Really small, but it's about basketball. It's like a basketball coach. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm made, I'm made for that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't see myself as an actor, but it was a long process of of not growing up thinking I can act, but yeah. it's just something that I when I'm in front of the camera, I know that you have one life. And for right now, this is all I'm giving it to. And I think that's an important trait for filmmakers and for actors. And so whether it's a physical toll, like run nine miles, I will run as hard as I can run until you can say cut. And so that's been a, a thing, but it's usually just in a film riot type thing yeah. where they need someone who who doesn't blink and is crazy. <laughs> just, just let me know when you say action. Yeah. So, but yeah. Well, we we really appreciate you being on, and uh, we look forward to. I'm I'm like excited. Like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Yeah, you do? <laughs> like, once uh, you know, COVID's been real fun for that, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be pretty awesome. I, you know, we're gonna we'll have all the links to to the film. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll see your next works sooner than later. Yeah. Same to you guys. Yeah, I, I'm not interested in doing something at the current climate. I've worked on a few things and filmmaking is just so intimate. It's hard yeah. to do it. You know, there's no, you can't stay six feet apart. It's impossible. And yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a bear. But yeah. I wish you guys well. I don't know many, many married couples that make movies. I mean, you got Christopher Nolan and his wife. I think it's Emma Thompson who's his, his producer. Yeah. So I can imagine what all she does for his movies, but it's really cool. I commend you guys, and I wish you well. well. Hey, we've managed to Co- stay together for 13 years and not kill each other yet. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. That's awesome. Although How I cool tell people, well, it's 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 interesting, you know, the I mean, fact that we both like film is why it works. Because yeah, that and plus we don't our our I don't want to say our interests because we're both interested in every aspect of it, but our strengths don't really overlap that much. He's much stronger writer oh, yeah. than I am. Um, I'm a much stronger editor or cinematographer than she is. So 
there's there's really not a lot of overlap. The story is 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 what we all what we both kind of is is the master of everything. So, you know, when she's writing a story and I'm giving input during it or after it or whatever, and then when I'm editing something and she's giving input on how the uh, scene is flowing or the tone of it, if it's still working or if I have a shot list and she's not feeling this shot or that shot or whatever. Um, so there's definitely input through the whole process through both of us. But yeah, we have our we have our strengths that we so there's no yeah. kind of like it's not like she's like, Toe oh, I would have edited this differently. Why did you do that? Like, <laughs> you know, so that's, mm-hmm. I think, a huge part of our success. <laughs> that's cool. Plus, I always you know, picture J- J- Joel and Ethan Cohen. Like, how does that, you know, I know who's more of the writer, who's yeah. more of yeah. the, and they're pretty peculiar cats, but they're just so talented. But that's cool, man. I, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. We just had on um, uh, Zach from the, the Shot Lister guy. You'll appreciate mm-hmm. that. And he has a writing partner. And so they will, will approach a film from beginning to end collectively. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is intriguing to me. Yeah. That you're both yeah. writing it, you're both editing it, you're both deciding every single facet of it, you know. And yeah. It's very interesting collaboration. But it, it makes us stronger because I would never write a film as great as she could write a film and she probably wouldn't light a film as great as I would or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think taking the best of both of us makes a better film. We'll see. Well, it's beautiful to know your strengths <laughs> and your weaknesses yeah. equally because to be able to know your weaknesses, then you can strengthen them. And yep. I think not yeah. a lot of people know them or will verbalize them. So yeah. I commend you both. That's Thank you. powerful. That'll take you somewhere. Even if it's not a skateboarding yeah. career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Well, the, the yeah. Knicks are the next stop, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, at this rate, you might have a shot. Yeah. Sorry, guys, but geez, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, we'd love to have you on again when you work on your next project. Wink, wink. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So that was Justin Robinson. No relation. Although you never know. If I find out he's our, my long lost cousin or something like that. And (laughs) and they can be like, Hey man, now you have to make films with me. It's your, it's your biological obligation. We're family, man. (laughs) Come on. Uh, Um, yeah. Great conversation. Great guy. Yeah. He's just uh, a, a, one of those, just one of the artist types, you know. He just is like a, just a, a solid, a solid dude who I love just a good documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he had, you know, he's got some shorts and they look really amazing. Because I remember my quick Justin Robinson story, um, seeing him on Film Riot and thinking, oh, this guy's really funny and charismatic and blah blah blah. But then seeing the films that he made were. You know, yeah. and con- and that happens a lot. You know, we're very, you know, we make very dark mm-hmm. films, but we're kind of dumbasses. Asses, you know, yeah. so uh, it's interesting to see how that that works with a lot of people. Anyway, he's great. It's Check deep, it out. man. Yeah, I'll have all his links and <laughs> yes. stuff we'll in have the description. The and you can and add to his stuff. catch his views. We'll get this. We'll lot. get this baby over eleven million. Because we're that cool. Yeah, it's just how that works. Um, so yeah, so uh, shout outs. MoGraphNetwork.com slash MoGraphing. MoGraph. MoGraphing? MoGraphing. If you want to MoGraph, Mo-graph. just head over there. Check it out. Steady Geek and Reality Bomb Comic Cast, not up for debate. If you um, are an indie filmmaker or in the field of some type, actor, DP, gaffer, whatever the hell it is you do. You know. Yeah. I don't think we've gotten through. No, I don't here think we we've go. Here ever we go. gotten through an an episode where you didn't yawn at me. Yeah, here we go. Jeez. Well, it's, you know, this pandemic has been, you know. It's been. It has been a long um, time. 
yeah, so reach out if you have a film or if you have any requests. There's uh, a bunch of stuff that we're waiting to see. There's a lot of good stuff that's coming out. Um, I'm waiting to see Mulan when it's free. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that next yep. month <laughs> because yep. I'm not going to pay for it. I'm just, I'm going to be honest. Yep. If I know it's coming for free, then uh, I'm just not going to do it. I'm um, waiting for Love and Monsters to be free. Yeah, you want to see that. That doesn't look too bad, actually. Looks super fun. Um, yeah, it looks pretty fun. I don't know why when I first heard Try about to stay it, away from I thought it was going to be stuff. a bit more teeny, but it's it seems like a, it might be interesting. So yeah, um, yeah there's like a bunch of things coming out. Um, Tenant is supposed to come out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know when. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. And rumor has it that Wonder Woman is supposed to go to streaming or on oh, demand, really? but then they want to do like a summer release. So I think they're just kind of jumping back and forth. I don't know, forth. man. The movies are all over the place right all now. Over the place. I'm just still not quite comfortable going. Um, if I knew that it was like uh, the like the Mystic Awards thing where it's like, okay, there's only going to be 30 people yeah. to 75 seats yeah, or yeah. something. It's like, all right, all right. You know, you have that space, but... I don't really know what their um, what their rules are really, and how you know. And one place well, will say they're at twenty five percent capacity, yeah. another says they're at forty percent. Who knows? And then it's know. when you go, and and a lot of it's the specific. Even though like AMC is doing whatever protection, it you know it depends on which actual theater you go to, to and how fair, how strict they are about their policies. To be and fair, stuff. when we wanted to see something that was indie, and I hate dealing with big crowds and theaters that annoys me with talking and all that stuff. Uh-huh. There have been times that we have gone on a Thursday morning and we've been one of four people in that theater. And that was before a pandemic. So yeah. it's pretty likely if you go during the week at a matinee that you may be the only person in the theater. That is possible. Yeah. But your one or two tickets are hardly going to be able to sustain this entire business. <laughs> so, yeah, right. I mean, I'm not, I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure that's not what they want, but yeah. Um, that is still, you know, if you really want to see something in a theater, that there's still that. Yeah. Um, going for the the midweek matinees, mm-hmm. like 90-year-olds. That was my jam. Yeah. That's my jam. Saturday night? I don't think so. No. I'm not doing that. That's not happening. All right. So uh, I don't know what's happening next week. Saturday night at 10 o'clock, I will have been in bed for four hours. <laughs> been in my pajamas for four hours. <laughs> Um, we don't know what's going on next week. It's a surprise. Just go with it. It's the holidays. Yeah. Um, it's going to be exciting, though. Oh, I yes, know that. It's, it's, uh, it's Thanksgiving this week. Mm-hmm. So, um, thanks taking. It's thanks taking. That's right. Uh, please don't be irresponsible and have a thousand people in your house, although so many people are going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, True. I don't know. You can't, True story. I, what can you do at this point? Uh, we will be solo, as we usually are, which is how I like it. <laughs> I'm going to make my turkey and my cornbread stuffing. Mm-hmm. my lingonberry sauce because I'm fancy lingonberry and uh, that's it so have a, a good we hope you have a good healthy safe thanks taking <laughs>